The Bible says about the kingdom of God that every man that gets into it presseth his way in. What does that mean, and how does that relate to what we've been talking about, how the kingdom of God comes to earth? Today, we are going to talk about that question. We have been discussing the two ways that are found in Jewish society at the time of Jesus um, that portrayed how the kingdom of God was going to come to earth. Uh, One of those was called the prophetic tradition. The other is called the apocalyptic tradition. We discussed that enough that um, in that discussion you could see what the people were believing at that day. So, who believed what? Well, uh, we briefly mentioned that the Pharisees leaned heavily to the prophetic tradition. They believed the king will come in glory. He will overthrow the tyranny of Rome. He will set up a glorious kingdom. Now, that was why you find the Pharisees confused over and over again and even the disciples, because they were looking for the kingdom and its glory, but they did not understand that the kingdom, when it first comes, is not going to be coming in its glory as they perceived it and as it was presented in the Old Testament. But before that gets here, there's other things that precede that. Now, the Essenes, um, they leaned toward the apocalyptic tradition. And uh, they believed that it was just a matter of time before you better get out of town. So they went ahead and got out of town. And that uh, they were they lived at Qumran, which um, uh, in itself is very interesting. But they, they believed that the doom was coming. Then you've got the zealots. Uh, the zealots believed that they personally were responsible to overthrow these structures that existed, the Roman Empire and um, the powers of Hellenism and so forth, that it was their job to overthrow those. And so they were sword-bearing people uh, who were on the edge, <laughs> uh, literally on the cutting edge, uh, of, of revolution and of feeling like they had to take this in their own hands, that it was a responsibility. So, so what did Jesus show? Well, Jesus showed both sides. Uh, When you look at what he said in Matthew 24, he is showing that it's going to be an apocalyptic coming and a time such as never before. It would be a time of false messiahs. It would be a time of children turning on parents. Um, it It would be a time that the uh, wrath of God is poured out, according to Revelation chapter 6. Uh, it would be a time that he says, this temple, and he points to the temple, this temple will be leveled to the ground. Not one stone will be left on one another. On the other hand, he shows that the kingdom of God, as it's going to come presently, they, it would have come had they embraced it 
in its glory, the hypothetical, it would have come in its glory had they embraced it. Being as they did not embrace it, the kingdom of God still came, but it came like Jesus taught in Matthew 13, like finding a treasure in a field, like finding a pearl of great price, like finding a seed that grows out of the ground, like finding leaven in dough, uh, like finding fish in the sea. Uh, all of these all of these were concepts about the kingdom of God that does not match at all uh, uh, the, the vision of the prophetic uh, or the apocalyptic until you get a little further into understanding the apocalyptic, which I hope we get to here in just a little bit. And so the disciples, where did they stand? Well, they were, they were all over the map probably closer to the Pharisees. Uh, You can see this where James and John, the sons of thunder, uh, they they wanted to bring it right now. They had zealot blood in them also. But, for example, their mother says, "Can can you grant, Jesus, that one of my sons will sit on the left of the throne when you come into the throne shows how she believed about the kingdom coming, that he was going to be on a physical throne. That's the prophetic tradition. And can you put this son on this side and this son on this side? So the the whole concept there is that he is going to have a throne. It was the prophetic tradition of how it's going to come. He was going to be in glory and that she wanted her children to be uh, exalted with him. So, uh, Another example is Peter with his sword, the idea that it would be taken prophetic by force, that he had to stand up and fight for it. Same with Simon the Zealot. Uh, No doubt where he stood that it's going to be, we're going to take this thing over, and we're going to take it over by force. And so all of these show us that the uh, prophetic tradition was the most prominent among the disciples all the way up to Acts chapter 1, verse 6, where the disciples still thinking of the prophetic tradition of how the kingdom was going to come, this glorious kingdom that Christ would set up, they're saying, is now the time that the kingdom is coming, all the way up to Acts 1 and 6. And so to this day, uh, there there is Zionism in Israel, and there is the Hasidim in Israel, and they they more or less parallel uh, thoughts that are found in the prophetic tradition uh, as opposed to those that are found in the apocalyptic tradition. Now, in contrast to that uh, prophetic tradition, the apocalyptics were teaching that when the Messiah comes, God's people will come in. God's people will come in. That's the first thing that will happen. God's people will come in. So, well, at the day of Pentecost, they did come in, but it wasn't who um, the, that was the nation of Israel only. It was whosoever will, whosoever would believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And consequently, it was primarily the Gentiles. And so um, the prophetic tradition believed the Messiah comes within the framework of history 
and its processes versus the apocalyptic tradition, which believed it would come beyond history, outside of history. There would be an instant in time in which God would intervene in history and through divine judgment and action usher in the reign and realm of God on earth. And so these different ideas about how the kingdom of God uh, will come exist even to the modern day. Now, it's important also for us to take time to mention that when Jesus said the kingdom of of, uh, God is at hand and the time has come, he did not use there the uh, normal Greek word for time, which was chronos or chronos, and from which we get chronometer, like a watch or a clock, uh, from which we get uh, chronology or from which we get chronological um, or other forms of the word. And when you think of time, chronos, and you think of a timeline, uh, it's it's horizontal. It's moving horizontally, ticking one second at a time. It's moving. It's it's um, as it moves, it builds up cultures, it builds up traditions, it builds up belief systems, and it as it moves across the landscape of history, it goes this way. The uh, the prophetic tradition of how the kingdom of God would come is that it would arise out of that line, out of that timeline, out of the chronological history, and that it would rise up there and then dominate the rest of Kronos. Ironically and interestingly, and in some ways shockingly, Jesus did not use the word Kronos. He used the word Kairos or Karos. Uh, in English, we'd probably say Kairos, but it's actually Kairos. But anyway, uh, Kairos. So you have chronological, and now you have Kairological. Chronos is uh, an event, an instant in time that occurs, and uh, and it comes into, and it interrupts, and so the day of the Lord when it comes. Any time to earth, it comes down, it comes vertically, it crashes into Kronos. For example, think of a center man out here. He's going along smoking his cigarettes and, and carousing around and telling dirty jokes and, and stealing candy bars and whatever he does as a center. And in the midst of all of that, uh, he's just moving along. And the Holy Ghost comes and touches him. Well, the Holy Ghost comes down to him, and it smashes into all the systems of Kronos, that all of his buddies, all of his tradition, all of his family, all of his culture, it smashes into all that. It, doesn't, it never apologizes because, because Kairos is coming down from heaven. Kairos knows that everything belongs to it, not to Kronos. And so that's why it doesn't apologize. It comes violently, Matthew 11 and 12. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. And so when the kingdom of God crashes into this man's life, he goes to the altar, uh, but that requires causal force. That requires him to say, I'm changing. 
I am defined where Kronos is taking me and where it's brought me to. I'm moving out of that. He goes to the altar. He repents. Repentance is a defiance against Kronos, against the, the flow of the historical life. This is why when a person repents and gets the Holy Ghost, like, like um, a, a preacher out of our church that was a young man that got the Holy Ghost, he was, he was dying of, of cirrhosis of the liver. He was a drug addict. He, he was a, a rock star that, who, was, who was doomed for death in just a few years. And, and his family was concerned about his health welfare. And uh, he came in and he received the Holy Ghost. He got baptized in Jesus' name. He cleaned up his life. This is decades ago now that this took place, and he's never went back. And uh, he's a very powerful and effective uh, evangelist and pastor with a great church. And, um, uh, but behold, his family didn't get excited about it. They said, what kind of deal are you in? And they opposed him being in it. It's like, what's wrong with you? Okay, so Kronos is killing him. Kairos comes and delivers him. But here's a point you have to understand. Kronos never accepts nor never understands Kairos. And Kronos always gets the short end of the stick. And Kronos is pushed aside, kicked aside. And, and, and Kairos comes in and says, this man belongs to me. And so he repents, he gets baptized, he receives the Holy Ghost, he's delivered from all of that. And he goes back into Kronos and he witnesses to others and rescues others out of the historic uh, chronological flow of life. And so when Jesus said the time has come, he used the word Kairos or, or Kairos. And in using that word, it is key in explaining to us how the kingdom of God comes to earth. It's going to come crashing in. A microcosm of how the kingdom of God is going to come to the entire earth where every man, every eye shall see Jesus Christ as he comes to earth and sets his feet on the Mount of Olives uh, next to Jerusalem. When, when he comes and does that, every individual that receives the Holy Ghost is a microcosmic example of the day of the Lord. That's how the day of the Lord intercepts. That's how the day of the Lord comes into human history. Uh, a micro, uh, well, a more macro example of that is found with the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. God did not come and slowly uh, and slowly uh, change their minds and slowly change the Egyptians' minds and over centuries finally get them to run parallel until there's a split and the people get it. No, no, that's not how it happened. For centuries, they are in slavery. And then in comes Moses. Boom, let my people go. It is an overt confrontation at a particular juncture of the chronological road of life with the chirological entrance of the claims of the kingdom of God on earth. And so, uh, Egypt was not the only country, obviously, or empire in the world that had slaves. That's been endemic to worldly kingdoms forever. But they were the ones that, unfortunately for them, had the wrong people for slaves because these were people with a destiny. And their destiny was at a particular time, chirologically, God's going to crash into the greatest empire in the Old Testament. 
the oldest empire, the one that had hundreds and hundreds of years of history and tradition and culture and military uh, power built up. When God crashes in, none of that's going to stop it. None of that can prevent it. The kingdom of God is come, and that's how it comes. So that's behind the apocalyptic vision. It brings doom to earth. It brings judgment on everything that's not like God. It is a crashing in. That's why in Matthew 24, you see the coming of Jesus Christ to earth at the second coming where every eye can see him and and will behold him. And then in 25, you have judgment of the nations, chapter 25. So you've got, you've got the kingdom crashes in, and then you've got judgment that starts falling. With, with Egypt, the judgments were the, were the plagues, and then the loss of the people in slavery, and uh, whatever other things happened to them. So this is, this, is, this is how the kingdom of God will come to the earth. And this is why, now, now everything that's chronology argues against that. Uh, when we start trying to get people saved, for example, with donuts and coffee, and we try to get them to merge into the gospel, and we teach that, and I, as a young evangelist, at one point was taught that you don't call people sinners. All of that is an emergent, it, it's a merging theory about how the kingdom of God comes to earth. But the, the idea is, is that the answer to people coming out of, uh, into the kingdom of God and out of the kingdom of the world is something that comes out of chronology. It, it's created out of chronology, totally opposite to the apocalyptic vision and the biblical vision of how it comes is that it comes and crashes into that, but it comes from somewhere else. It comes from heaven. It comes from the spirit crashing into this. And so this is a these are these are important understandings. They affect how you preach. They affect they affect how we have churches. Pentecostals, Pentecostal services are overtly confrontational to the chronological flow of life. The chronological flow of life is is consists of of, of work. It consists of family. It consists of entertainment and and habits and hobbies and ball games and and things to keep us going, uh, whereas the other of the kingdom of God crashes in and says, set your affections not on things below, but on things above. So it is, it's revolutionary, and it continues to be revolutionary. So I made mention of Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, about uh, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. There are translators who say that the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. Get this now. Could also say the kingdom of heaven suffereth violators. So, so if you're going to get into the kingdom of heaven, you're going to have to be a violator. You're going to have to violate the chronological flow that you're caught in. And that chronological flow can become spiritual strongholds, demonic strongholds. Those are all part of that chronology. But in that chronology, you can be, you can break out of that. But you have to. It's a decision that has to be made. Come out from among them, 
and it has to be strong enough that your job, what your boss thinks, what your wife or husband thinks, what your children or parents think, what your friends think, how it's going to affect you in school, all of that, you got to lay it down and say, no, 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 no. None of that is going to dominate in my life. I am coming out and I am going to become a part of the kingdom of God. And when that kingdom smashes in and a person's filled with the Holy Ghost, that's a microcosm of Jesus Christ coming at the second coming in all of his power and all of his glory. And the kingdoms of chronology, that is the kingdoms of this world, which are all chronological, they are going to be scattered and they are going to be defeated. For them, it's doom for anybody that's in chronology instead of uh, the chirological kingdom coming it's going to be doomed until the kingdom of God is established. And then it is a most spectacularly powerful, wonderful, eternal thing that the human mind can possibly imagine. 